0: We both actually have an engineering background and started a marketing and sales consultancy.
1: Product marketing is a thing that I think has a gigantic impact on people's perceptions of products. They really love products because of product marketing.
0: You could probably use this messaging framework to say, how via the product are we communicating across these three things? So these are the three pillars
2: of the company and your page talks about none of those three, like you missed something. Hi, I'm Craig Kirsteens. And I'm Remus Silkitis. And you're listening to Practical Product, a bi-weekly series where we discuss product management and some of the unique challenges we face in dealing with defining the right product and all of the coordination necessary to help teams build it right. Practical Product is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market.
3: For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproduct@heavybit.com at heavybit.com or on Twitter at practicalproduct. All
2: right, and we're uh, back on another episode of Practical Product. Uh, thanks everyone for, for joining us. Uh, today I've got uh, Brian and Mike uh, with me from Reify. Uh, Brian worked at New Relic and GitHub and marketing and uh, Mike was actually the first employee at Code Climate. Guys, can you just tell me a little bit of like, your background and kind of what you're doing now?
0: Yeah, sure. So we both actually have an engineering background and started a marketing and sales consultancy. So that's kind of an odd transition,
2: probably, for a lot of people. Hang on. I thought engineers don't like marketing and, and sales. That's why
1: we make money with our consultancy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sound effects, can we get the drum notes?
0: Yeah, we can get that in post-production. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we both came from this, you know, product and engineering background. And and both I think were inspired by the business side of software, you know, really being concerned with not just are is this product good, but do people want to buy it? Is there a market for this product, and how do we actually uh, develop a thesis around bringing that to market?
2: Now, do you do kind of consulting around just marketing and sales broadly? Is there a certain focus to it? Like, is there a typical type of company you work with?
1: Yeah. So um, within the uh, within the type of company that we work with, there's definitely a niche. So we. Typically, work with companies that uh, sell products or market products to developers or other technical people. So we're we kind of call ourselves a B two B SaaS uh, marketing and sales consultancy. Um, we don't we have uh, clients that don't necessarily sell to developers, but they sell. Uh, technical product maybe they sell into a marketing department at a company but there it is a software product so they have to get buy-in from a technical organization in order to complete a sale so we help them with that.
2: but it sounds like so by and large is kind of this this tech focused dev focused like it's not kind of b2c world No it's- there's
1: no con- we don't have any consumer companies uh, as clients right now it's pretty strictly B2B yep
2: cool. And so I, I think today we actually wanted to dig in a little bit to some of that duality of like marketing product. Like you both have engineering backgrounds, so I'm sure you've kind of experienced some of the uh, the types of marketing that developers and product people and engineering-focused companies, you know, uh, kind of butt heads with. So like, how do those things kind of coexist in a more collaborative way? Like, how does marketing work together with product? How does product work with marketing? Etc. Like
1: one of our big projects at Reify is really to Get people to understand the interactions between sales, marketing, and product functions uh, in in their tech in tech companies. Um, and so, when those things butt heads, I mean, there's a I mean, there there are cultural components to that, right? And the way that people choose to run their companies, who they choose to hire, like what the founders' personalities are, and things like that. Um, And we, you know, we can help with that, but you know, we're not really psychologists; we're uh, technologists. So uh, we tend to approach it where we try to get people to understand that there's a push and pull, right? That when you uh, make a decision, that's a marketing decision, there will be impact in product. When you make a decision about pricing or product, it's going to impact how you do sales and marketing and things like
2: that. And I imagine there's a lot of kind of key areas where like marketing comes in and actually adds value, right? I think. Brian, you kind of hit on that, just glossed over it. But like, you know, making sure there's a a fit for the product and there's a market for it, like that's that's key. People, you know, even engineers do usually like to make money, right? Like they they're happy to have a real business. So how do you kind of jump into that part of like adding that value, driving that? Like, what are some of those initial discussions that you guys come Mm -hmm. in on?
0: Well, I think the interesting thing, if you talk to technology companies, they're often starting with a product idea. Right, the origin story of all these companies is I had an idea, I wanted to bring that to market, and I I built. I had a problem I
2: wanted to solve. That whole thing. There's a itch I want to scratch. Exactly. Sure.
0: And so the second step is they might have to have a company because someone gave them money to make a company to sell that product, right? And the third leg of that stool though is is the market piece. And so if you have a product without a buyer, you don't have a company for very long. And I think the classic blunder that we see a lot in these companies is that a lot of people think about telling people what they built without realizing that there's has to be a, a market on the other side that's like wanting to respond to that. And so what is the demand? Where is it coming from? Who's at, who is your buyer? How yeah. much are they willing to pay? What does the competitive landscape look like? Yeah. All of these things exist in the sort of market leg of that stool. Um, and in early stage companies, it almost never exists. And so a lot of what we're doing now, especially with early stage companies, is kind of filling that role to audit the thinking and the success so far and understanding like how it's how it's hitting the market doing our own research talking to customers and things like that.
3: So it sounds like you know we're talking about early stage companies here but is there a dichotomy between a more established company that may have a set of product lines and what they need to work with versus that early stage company is there are there, are there differences between the two?
0: Yeah, I think what's funny is um almost everybody's pricing came out of like You know, a a bar conversation or something like somebody like you know pulled a deck of cards out and like pick some numbers, and may have had some success. And so, in fact, there's often these um, the next phase of success for them is going to come from repackaging their product. Because I think another thing that people don't do enough is they've been building product for a long time, pricing hasn't changed often in many years, Mm -hmm. and it's the packaging of that that's going to start actually opening your product up to a new market. Potentially, right? That's one of the components that could do that, and so that's a way that we can also kind of come in and help us talk to all these customers and find out what is the piece of this product that's actually motivating the purchase, yeah. and what's the competitive pricing landscape look like, and how should we do pricing now with evidence of data which you didn't even have when you priced it the first time.
2: Now, where do you start on that that pricing data, right? Yeah, how do you, that, that's a thing of like. Yeah, I, you know, I took the business courses in school where it's like, here's the, the supply curve, the here's way. the demand curve. And <laughs> here's like, my
3: elasticity.
2: Like. Exactly. Like <laughs> right. there's there's the perfect kind of econ chart. And yeah. it's like, great, I can I can ace this test. And then you get out and you say, how do I price this product? And it's like, I, I, I don't know what these levers are. How do you? Yeah. How do you test that? How do you get to data?
1: I mean, so um, this dovetails actually with like the question you asked earlier about like what are the first conversations that you have with companies where you're trying to determine their market, try to get them to product market fit. Um, we ask really, we have questionnaires that we use with our clients, and then questionnaires that we use with our clients' customers. Um, and when we talk to our client, the first thing that we ask them is who their who their customer is, right? Um, and we really uh, we like to make founders and executives really uncomfortable by asking them the questions that they're sometimes not really willing to ask themselves or ask each other, which is really like, who is this person? Where do they work? Name the per- you know, like let's go through your customers. You know, we we tend to work with people that have some traction between seed and a round or something like that. They've got, they've sold it to their friends, right? They've reached their network. They they know who these people are. We taught, we asked them you know, questions that on paper look kind of crazy, right? Like what, you know, what are they, what blogs do they read? You know, what conferences do they go to? And, we, and when we do that, what we do is we bring the customer for them, uh, from the abstract to the concrete, right? And so we try to say like, let's stop talking about your, you know, the, your, your buyer persona is not a developer, right? Your buyer persona is not a Ruby developer, right? Your buyer persona is a lot m- more granularly defined than that. Um, so the a lot of the initial conversations we have are around the who, um, and then in terms of like bringing it to the data, um, how do you get to the data? Like we talk to customers, right? Uh, we're really big believers in willingness to pay um, and the input that willingness to pay has into you know what. You can charge for a software product. Um, so we recently did a pricing engagement with a company where uh, who's pretty far along, again between C and A, and we got on the phone with 20 of their customers and ran them through the same questionnaire. Uh, and by doing that, began to develop a sense for what they care about, what they really think they are buying, and also we just ask them. How much would you pay for this, right? Would you pay this much for this product, right? Uh, You know how much value it brings you, right? How much would you pay now? How much would you pay if we added this feature? How much is this feature worth to you, right? Uh, And sometimes people are not willing to ask that question themselves of customers. Sometimes they don't feel like customers will be honest with them. Um, And so we have really interesting leverage uh, in being outsiders where we can just come in and say, hey, you know, we're doing this project. With this product that you love, you know, you want this product to be around for a long time, you rely on it, you know, how how much would you pay for it if it looked like this, if it looked like this, if it looked like this?
2: I'm just kind of curious, what have been some of the results, the spread? How far off is that delta from like <laughs> what the companies thought? Very versus, far,
1: very yeah. far. I mean, you know, we are um, you know, Craig and I have had like we've had exchanges on Twitter about, you know, companies should charge more money for software. Um, so I think. It's uncontroversial to say that developers who are building products and trying to turn them into companies tend to undercharge for their for their products. Um, And so, uh, but I've
2: heard developers are cheap, right? Like that's that's, well, (laughs) right? Okay,
1: so developer, it's it's actually true. I think developers are are uh, cheap a lot, uh, but they're also not always the buyer. Right. Um, and they're often your uh, they're often your entry point into a into an SMB. Right. But they're not necessarily your buyer. And, and additionally, like, you know, um, the difference between nine dollars a month and ninety nine dollars a month for your, you know, it's like it's it, there's a it's a lot more than ninety dollars difference. Right. Sure, um, sure. So your ability to create a product that someone will put down a credit card for a thousand bucks for a year. Right like let's get you to that place first.
2: And you you hit on something there for a second of like they're often your entry point developers are. And Brian, you kind of hit on that of like uh there's the what is the, the product feature set and the portfolio, kind of what what comes into the differentiating, how do you like what is the product set and what do you price in which like how do how do you formulate that? How does that come in and where does that cuz usually you know the product person is saying Hey, this is a problem we're going to build it, we're going to ship it and we just roll it in, right? Like, let's just keep rolling in the feature set. Where is that kind of dichotomy work? Like, you've worked at a couple of interesting places that I think started with developers, also targeted large enterprises. How's that split happen? What's that dichotomy? How do you start to evolve cuz I imagine a lot of these early stage companies start at developers, then at some point you start to grow up um, and you know, go up market in a way. Mm-hmm. How do you do that and not alienate? Like, what's what's that look like? Yeah, I
0: think there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting strategies to think about there, and the first is the fact that you have to have messaging for each different tier of people you're trying to communicate with, right? So if you are talking to individual developers in a specific context that have a definition that you know you're solving a particular real problem for, um, the communication of that might come in the installation process and the documentation and that kind of stuff, right? And the pricing for that. Is probably going to be relatively low, right? You're, you're also looking for traction, feedback. Those early customers are really valuable to you more than the dollars they're paying.
2: So your metrics um, are completely different. It's you know totally. active users, just word of mouth growth, yep. buy-in. Okay. And
0: and also once you've got a volume of those customers, now your job is to learn from them. And so now it's understanding well how can we segment these customers into piles and what communities are responding to what features. And it's almost impossible to do this like by industry, right? So every product is going to have a different way of approaching the segmentation. And then from there, you know, you mentioned pricing. That's a different person looking at that page often, right? And so how you're communicating pricing and the kinds of things you're talking about to that audience is going to be a little bit different than what you're doing for you know, documentation or onboarding, right? So here you might say, for example, um, you know, individual developers that are looking at a product feature page on GitHub. Are looking at features that make my life easier as a developer. It's about personal productivity. It's about community. But if I'm selling to a business manager who's going to buy thousands of seats of this product, now we're talking about collaboration and innovation at scale, right? Those are different um, motivating factors for that sale. It's the same product, but you're now talking to two different audiences.
2: Same product, and you sell it the same way, or do you price it? How do you like? How do you create that different value there?
0: Right. So I think the value actually comes it, it's going to be obviously different for products, but a lot of times, um, what we see this this pattern, right there's an individual user account type, and that's usually the developer version of the product. It's single user, it's probably all access, you know kinds of things. Um, interestingly, as you go up market, some of the features that you add to a product to make it cost a lot more and get a bigger relationship with that company is not a new feature of the product. It's almost a restriction. So, if an organization, for example, can say, "I'm in control," and this group of users can do these things, and this group of users can do these other things, that that level of like management and and organization um, is something people pay for, right? Because there's a risk of a super user screwing something up, right? So it's it's interesting that you can actually do a lot around the edges of a product to make it much more valuable to a large organization and that you can charge a whole lot more for it. that's not even part of the core product really.
3: Can you pull back on features that you have once released, like to, to speak more tactically, right? Mm-hmm. You know, can you can you relaunch something as a product manager and say, oh, here's this thing. It's valuable to these, you know, upmarket type customers. Can you pull that back to then Put a restriction in place to then charge more, or once it's once it's out there, it's out there and that's it. It's done.
1: I mean, nothing's permanent, right? I mean, you know, it, it, I think uh, I think the answer to that question, you know, if we're speaking tactically, like it depends on the volume, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, is it tens? Is it hundred? Is it, is it thousands? Um, I think that, um, particularly in startups that are you know in this early stage, trying to grow, trying to get larger. They sometimes underestimate the goodwill that they have with their customers, right? They, their customers are developers. They're, they're a developer too, or used to be, and you know, all, um, being honest with your customers goes a long way, right? So I think we've both been in that position probably to like write emails to customers to explain to them like why these things are happening. Um, you know, you you give them you give them six months to do this. You give them a nice discount. You know, you roll them into it eventually, but. I don't think that it's. I think you have to think really hard about not making a decision, like making a decision like that to not like to ameliorate your customers at the expense of like you know potentially tanking your bottom line. It's a really uh, tight rope to walk, but I think um, communication and the quality of communication has a lot to do with that. And then that's something that Brian and I really enjoy working with clients on.
2: So I mean, you can you can roll it back. I assume the better option is to like know where you package it in the first place. How do you get to that? Like, if you haven't had some of those customers, you're trying to go upstream. Like, you know, my my usual kind of product answer is like, hmm, which way is the wind blowing today? Like, does this you know feel enterprisey? Not being in that market, or how do you how do you know how you bucket features?
3: Yes. Like, alternatively, I was going to say, as a PM, you know, the question I would ask is like, how how would I know, or where would I go to get that kind of information to then be able to you know, make that decision, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, that's a good question. Competitors and what competitors do is one answer. Um, you know, we don't, we never recommend that people just, you know, copy competitors' pricing and packaging, but seeing what a more successful company in your market segment is able to charge up market for is typically a good indication. Um, talking to customers, uh, talking to users that are using your product uh, for free early on is reasonable um, uh, but that's that's hard that's a lot of where the art is you know and what I think is an interesting thing that Brian and I have run across is like there's the product set uh, you know how you package that and provide that to customers and then there's like on top of that like what do you communicate to your customers right like what do you what goes on the pricing page right yeah. what are the three features that are the three most important features to your customers, right? So we had a client who, uh, we had a client who, when we started doing the pricing engagement with them, they're like, "Cool, like uh, we have 64 features uh, in our product, and you know, here, like our product has 64 different features. Here's a spreadsheet." We're interested fit, in seeing fit, fit
0: all this on the pricing. Yeah, they're like we're interested
2: in
1: flashback to those checkboxes.
2: Yeah, we're interested in Oracle feature Right, we're like, interested. Right? In- it's like a binder. Here you go. Yeah, we're
1: interested <laughs> in seeing how you're going to like fit this in, and we're like we're not. That's how we're going to fit it in. We're going to erase uh, sixty one of them. You know, um, so we have a we have a process that I think is actually. Um, Uh, Has been successful for us and might be interesting to your listeners regarding uh, just doing really simple things like uh, making, you know, talking to customers or thinking about customers, making lists, uh, dividing them up into, you know, groups.
2: So let's yeah, I'm kind of curious to walk through this. So let's say I've got like 50 customers. Yeah,
1: 50 is a great number. Okay.
2: And now where am I going from these 50? Like what am I I doing with that list?
1: <clears throat> you're going to talk to as many you're going to talk to as many of that those 50 as you can, right? Uh you well first of all you you know the you know the existing list, right? Like you've got your 64 item spreadsheet, right? Uh you're going to talk to your customers uh, and really ask them the question, the hard, these are hard questions to ask, right? Like what, you know, the Typical one is like, um, how hard would it be for you if this stopped existing? You know, if we didn't do this or anymore, to right? To tomorrow, or how, ma- how, how, to how much would up. that hurt, right? If this feature didn't exist, would you still buy our product and things like that? Uh, so we start with this list, and you go down all 64 features. Nah, one one. no, of course not. But what we like to do is like, um, so so the customers are one input into it, but and Brian might want to like chime in on this, like the the founders and the executives in the company, they have like. Particularly at this stage, they have incredibly good intuition a lot most of the time for what their customers really care about, right? So we like to do the exercise first with the people internally, and then and then use that as the input into what we talk to customers about. So if you if you've got 64, we're going to turn that into three groups uh, of whatever that is of whatever 64 divided by three is, and then uh, we're going to whittle those three groups down into three features in each group. Right. So now you've got nine things. You're not allowed to talk about more than nine things. And those three groups of three, those get a name. right? And naming those three groups of three is crucial to, in order to uh, be sure that you're able to uh, communicate the value proposition of your product. So an example would be if you're selling an infrastructure product and you're talking about Redundancy, and you're talking about your SLAs for support, and you're talking about uh, whatever it is, you know, response time. Those three features might go under a category that's called like reliability or something like that, right?
2: Okay, so it's not any three arbitrary, it's like kind of the let's, most let's create, important let's three.
1: Yeah, yes, yes. The, the, the thematic component to it is super important so that, like, when you, what you should be able to do is you should be able to take this big list, whittle it down into three tiny lists, name those things, right? And if those three pillars, we call them, right, of your messaging, if if those aren't like the right thing, you screwed up. Right? you picked the wrong features you were not being honest with yourself about what people care about, you chose the thing that you implemented most recently instead of the thing that people actually buy, you write down a feature that might not even exist yet that you've always wanted to do because you think people think it's important um, but uh, in reality we've seen that when people actually go through this exercise, create a framework for them to be able to do this they, when they're done, they're looking down on paper of like, oh wow, like I recognize this, this is my company, right, this is, these are the problems that we created this product to solve.
0: And, and what's funny, this <laughs> going through this framework is super useful when it comes to pricing and packaging as well, because we would also look at this layer on the pricing plans that we're trying to develop. And you should see differences across all three pillars in all of your plans. Right? You kind of want to run this check that says, oh, okay, so there's more of something or there's some kind of scale in each of the plans, um, and you know what people tend not to have, at least in our experience, which is probably another great input if we ever had it, um, is a map between here's our fifty customers, right? And some of those are in different plans. What features are they actually using? And what's really compelling about that information, if you can get it, is that you might find out that it's like a very tertiary feature that happens to be in this other, fe- you know, tier, and that's why they bought it. Right, the headline is not the thing. It turns out that it's some esoteric feature down the list, and so that's where you start pulling out this like actual value that's motivating a sale that's maybe different from you know what you think.
2: Now, is there ever a case where there's like one pillar that's only focused on larger companies, or is it like no, you wanted a spread across all three of those? Right. That's a really and, good question. Because um, I think reliability is a great simple one. Like even developers care about some level. They may not care about like twenty-four by seven phone support.
1: Right. Right. I think that if you're going to if you're going to sell across a spread, right? If you're going to sell to people, SM single devs, SMBs and enterprise, you're not I would my gut tells me you wouldn't have a pillar that only pertains to right. one of those markets right that all that all of your market segments care about like some level of, of this mm-hmm. particular thing right yeah
0: and that's exactly you know you, you bring up support as an example you know there may be an open source version that doesn't have commercial support right that would be an example of that where it's going to scale over time to
1: the- yeah support is a good one various you know enterprisey authentication protocols, access control lists uh, mm-hmm. things like that um, you know. The 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 enterprise
3: stuff. So how to change the conversation just a little bit? How do, how do we take all of these learnings and apply this back into the product to give the product you know its own personality? Because you know that's something that I, I don't see a lot of PMs actually think about or talk about is that your product actually has a personality when you build this out there and how it communicates. Oh, yeah, I love its that voice, idea. You know everything else. You know how do we how do we rope this back in as PMs?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, this process that we go through is about messaging pillars. And then when you come to product, you've got a little bit of a different framework because you're mostly thinking about use cases. And so sometimes those are going to be spread across those different things. But what's important is it's a very similar process of lists, grouping, naming, filtering. And then I think what's super important, obviously, is consistency. And so, you know, if I'm uh, logged into your product and I've been using it for a while, and then I see this marketing page or a Twitter campaign. If that seems like an entirely different product, like you screwed up, right? There should be, you should be able, even though I said earlier, you know, you want to have different messaging available for these different kinds of buyers, but it shouldn't shock them, right? It's not going to shock somebody. An individual developer is not going to be shocked at the fact that I'm talking about, um, you know, corporate innovation at scale when referring to GitHub. Right that's not the feature they're buying, but they would understand that it's related right in the same way that you know your product features need to be kind of in that same kind of architecture that they relate in a way that's you know harmonious in messaging and has the same voice
3: so we're not necessarily saying that like every pixel of every um, text box that we create has to look exactly the same across right. the entire product it's just that you're communicating something that is of same type that you're trying to. Mm-hmm. Um, show you know, across all of these segmentations, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I would argue actually what's important is if you have your key pages in this app, so maybe there's a dashboard or there's different kind of views, right? You could probably use this messaging framework to say, how via the product are we communicating across these three things? Right? Even though you're in a work channel, how am I thinking about if I had an issue, what's my support, how am I supporting you when I'm looking at this dashboard page? Right? how am I thinking about reliability how am I communicating that to you so if these are the three pillars of the company and your page talks about none of those three like you missed something right so there's got to be it's really handy to have these two things that you know for, for everybody to use for those reasons
1: yeah I love the I like the idea of the personality too I mean um, we have um, We've done more work so far with our clients, kind of on the on the front end, like more further up the funnel stuff. Um, but um, when I was at Code Climate, you know, that was a thing that we took really seriously in terms of like um, the voice of the voice of the emails that we sent from the app, the voice of tweets that we you know did for marketing, and and inside the app, trying to make sure that there was a level of consistency so that people could kind of tell uh, that. Um, you know, this was from the, the you know the same personality. I mean, I, yeah, it's interesting. There's almost like a interesting kind of like moods analogy you could make <laughs> here, right? Of like the you know, okay, you know, this personality is like now, you know, they're being a little bit more business like over here, you know, and they're being a little bit more fun over here. But it's like the same person, right? It's coming from the same perspective. The values are clearly aligned. Um, stuff like that.
3: I want to pick on that word values just a little bit. How, how important is it to have the same values across product and marketing? And or, you know, to ask that another way, like how does product and marketing interface such that those are shared values so that they're creating the same personality? Because, you know, what I see in a lot of my work is that, you know, product marketing can just be kind of over there doing their mm-hmm. own thing Whereas I'm just building something and I'm in my own silo and just, you know, and releasing ideally, how I think. Ideally, like
2: marketing should just listen to what product says. And all happy, right. <laughs> right. Like that's, that's, that's the healthy Correct. world. Uh, that's yeah. the Craig answer. Yeah. Right? I mean,
1: uh, I think that uh, it's not easy, right? That, that let's just like go out there and say that, like finding people that are good at both or who can understand both or translate between both, sometimes challenging. Um, if one group is siloed from another group, clearly there's going to be diverg- divergence there. That's not going to be healthy for anyone. Um, I,
0: I mean, I think the thing that solves this in, in every environment that I've ever seen is contact with customers. Right. So if your marketing team feels closer to the customer, that's where your tension's is going to be, right? Because they're maybe they're out at events, they're talking to people, they're much more closer to the ecosystem partners or whatever. There's a whole kind of world there that they understand because you're fitting into other tools. There's more tools than yours in the universe and they understand how people see you and that de- definitely informs product and voice. Um, but the same can be said I've seen product teams that are much closer to the customer. right? Where there's product marketing that's you know back in a different room and they're just kind of asked to create collateral without the context of people and Product and marketing. Yeah, I think we right? talk
2: a lot about like you know talking to the customer, engaging with them, and I think you know for us you know in product it is very key, and I think similarly in marketing as product marketing it's very key, right? Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. it's the
1: same person, right? Like you don't become a different person once you buy the product, right? You're still talking to the same person, yeah. you know, and they care about the same thing, right? And now that they're in your app, doesn't mean you should spend less time or energy considering how you communicate with them. Um, and I think that we're all really, you know, uh, product marketing is a thing that I think is a, it it has a gigantic impact on people's perceptions of products. People love. I think people try and buy products all the time because of marketing, but they really love products because of product marketing, right? like everyone loves Slack because of the stupid you know little touches here and there that sorry I don't mean to call them stupid, but the little touches <laughs> they're they're not like. <laughs> they're like completely impossible for me to ever like conceive of or execute on like I, to me it's magic like to know how to do that well but mm-hmm. you know Slack's a good example GitHub had GitHub has had some good examples of those things over the years companies are better at that or worse than that and and that those touches once you've gotten a customer into the product and they're using it I think can be are are really powerful and you know you should forge a connection, you know, between those between those parties.
0: Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention too, I think one of the ways that this starts to pull apart sometimes in teams is that because marketing is so focused on growth and new customers, your point of view is very skewed toward that new user. And in product over time, you can see product teams that know the app too well. They know it too much. They know their own vernacular and they kind of can sometimes miss That new user experience because it's like oh we forgot to add all these communication things because I I haven't seen the new version of that screen in five years right I don't think about those things and so that's another way I think that teams need to kind of remind themselves of what that you know top down funnel looks like. We've
2: talked a little bit about like you know product people building support and helping onboard customers and like that you know getting that beginner mindset back because once you lose it it's very hard. But I think you know being out there alongside marketing like right alongside talking to new users customers. That are thinking about the product. Why are they even considering it? Whether it's at events or otherwise, is another great way to kind of keep that fresh mindset of what are people thinking about when they're even considering you.
0: Yep, and and also the same goes for sales, right? Like you know, in our view, product, marketing, and sales are literally the same thing, right? You really need to be saying the same things. Or you, they're the same customer, and so riding along and going into sales calls and talking to people and having to convince them is a really healthy way of. I'm
1: going to use feedback. that line, like you know. You don't become a different human being once you buy the product, right. you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, a great line. Yeah, I mean it's um,
1: interesting because it's like they're. Uh, um, I don't know who do you, Craig? Like who do you, or both of you? I'm interested. Like who do? You, what companies do you think? What products that you use right now do product marketing very
3: well? Is this is this where I mentioned CITUS right now? Is do, this
2: yeah. Should I should I say hurricane? Return? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm thinking of a few. Actually I think Code Climate's a good one to to go back there.
3: Stripe, possibly. Stripe,
2: yeah. Stripe's a great one
3: you know that you know when i think about all the stuff that they're doing between the documentation you know their outreach amongst developers and everything else it feels like i can build a relationship with that company right right
2: yeah i think actually stripe jumps out to me especially at, at being larger too i think it's really easy for a really small one to possibly do some of that cuz it's often the same person doing a lot of it sure yeah um, and the bigger ones is where you see some of the coordination issues
1: yeah i mean i think heroku has been historically um, a ben- you know a benchmark in a number of ways for you know m- marketing and product marketing both um, you know I
2: I I'll take full credit for that I since started uh, no one else yeah. can defend it right now right
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah I mean <laughs> I just remember um, yeah I mean like when uh, when I was at Code Climate uh, we um, I helped launch a whole you know platform developer program thing and we studied the Heroku stuff like very closely when we did that you know just. Uh, the experience of like visiting this documentation page that described to you like how to create an add-on or whatever like that stuff is just killer you know um and uh there's just so much energy and attention put into it it's kind of it's kind of uh, like daunting actually to see from the outside you know if you're you know, and I'm probably a lot of people listening to this podcast are like not in the position to have obviously like teams of people working on these things, right? Like you, you might you might be.
2: I think m- you'd be surprised early on how small some of that depends on what time you were looking at. How right? Small no,
1: this was like last year I'm talking okay. about. Oh, so yeah, year, yeah, 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 yeah. no, and in, in, yeah, initially. I mean, I remember seeing it initially, and it was and it was good because you know Heroku typically had I think above average documentation and stuff like that. But right now, if you go look at like the 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 you know how to create an ad. On Heroku stuff, it's just it's killer. You know, walks you through the whole thing and really gives you you know it talks about the things that you care about as a potential creator of this add-on process. You know, um, this is a little orthogonal to like just typical no, product marketing like or whatever. Your, but
2: like your product marketing today is a different customer, but right? Customer is the same customer whether they're thinking about that, whether they've launched it. How do you support it? So I think it still completely applies.
3: Well, it's, you know, one of my tenets, you know, when I I do anything product related is that anything that that customer touches as part of your organization, whether it be landing pages, pricing pages, documentation, that's an opportunity to further the voice that you have with that customer, further that personality, because, you know, if you're not being thoughtful about that kind of stuff, then, you know, I hope you're in an industry where you know, cost is your only concern because, (laughs) you know, you have a monopoly on everything that's going on there. Um, So, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that if you are going to, you know, think about all of these things, do all of this stuff to make sure that you contain that voice, that you have to do a lot of things, you can do a few of those, um, do them well, and launch them and still be in a
2: good place. So I think we covered a lot of topics here. Um, you basically gave away kind of all of your business, and <laughs> now everyone can go and self-service. We yeah. know how to create the lists and the you know the feature set and the pillars. So we write like,
1: we write about a lot of this stuff on our blog, which so you can probably no link to. No one hire notes. you if they want to right. know anything more. They know everything they need to. <laughs> yeah, this pretty, is pretty much all we got.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, what else like might you leave? Listen, like on the the product manager side, like what do you want to tell product managers while you've got like a final say to like. Here's what you should think about with marketing, or should care about.
1: I have a, I have a, uh, I have a chip on my shoulder about email, so I'll I'll take my minute to like talk about that. Um, I think that um, email is incredibly important uh, in terms of how products communicate with customers, and that you know if I were to make a tactical recommendation to a company that uh, wants to make sure they're doing a good job on this, it's like a really simple thing that we used to do at Code Climate, which was like. Print out all your emails, all of the emails that your app sends, right? Look at them on a table, you know, print them out. Like, you know, does everyone who's listening to this podcast know what a printer is? Uh, Print them out, right? (laughs) Put them on a table side by first make a list. Like ask yourself, can I name all of the emails that my product sends to customers? Right. You you're definitely forgetting 25% of them if your company has been around for more than a year and you have more than a handful of customers, right? Mm -hmm. Print out all your emails, label them. Right. So it's like uh, first day of trial is like day zero. Right. Then you've got zero, three, five, seven, whatever you're sending, print them all out, read them, and ask yourself, like, <laughs> am I doing a good job? Am I uh, in terms of consistent voice? Right. In terms of not being annoying. Right. In terms of I wrote this email, this transactional email to get sent when a user clicks a button a year and a half ago. Does the product that I'm asking for? customers to use even exist anymore in the same shape. right? It's huge, so, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, like, so, it's a thing
2: that you probably don't think about as, as part of like that perfect intersection. Yeah, everyone thinks and, and about and their marketing
1: product. site, their pricing page, their Twitter avatar, but they create emails, never delete them. And uh, I think customers can have bad experiences because of that. Brian, any
2: personal chip you want to leave? <laughs>
3: That's so good. <laughs>
2: I, I, I think it's fine if we want to just end on that note. It's.
0: I mean, the only thing else I would add back to kind of the the, the spending time with customers thing, I think is just encouraging everybody uh, to work alongside people in every different team, right? So I've I've learned immense amounts from spending time in customer support. I've learned a ton of time hanging out with ops folks and understanding that the thing I was just pushing was causing a lot of other people pain, and actually understanding the whole impact of what you're all doing together to be building a product and service, that this affects every team, and we all see things slightly differently. Um, And the more well-rounded that experience is, the better you make decisions. I think
2: it's another super, Like uh, everyone can't see at home, uh, but like a bunch of heads nodding. To that <laughs> to that, like, yes, like talking to the other teams super key, especially in in product and I think product marketing as well is a very mm-hmm. cross functional role where you need to understand all sides. For sure. Right. So thanks again, guys, for for coming on. I think you know if people need uh, further advice, guidance on on marketing and uh, uh, pricing and otherwise packaging, uh, hopefully they know everything they need to on the list now. But sure. uh, if not, <laughs> uh, they know where to find you. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. That's all we have time for today.
3: If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a PM topic you'd like us to dive into,
2: you can reach us at practicalproduct at heavybit.com or on Twitter at practicalprod. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders.